Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to our podcast, New Time Religion. Before we start today, I just wanted to give a quick shout-out thank you to everybody who's called in and left us great questions on our hotline. Andy and I have a date next week to do some more episodes, and we're going to use those questions to do a lot of them. So thank you. If you have a question and you haven't called in yet, or maybe you did call in and you have another question, you can give us a call at 651-800-1089 and leave your question there, and hopefully it'll make it into an episode someday. And as a thank you to everybody who leaves a question, even if it doesn't make it on the show, we'll still give you one. We have free books to give away. We are like the Oprah of podcast hotlines. Andy has graciously given up some of his books that he's written, and we're giving those away to anybody and anyone who calls our hotline. So again, the number is 651-800-1089. That's 651-800-1089. Call the hotline, leave a question, and get a book. How fun is that? Without further ado, here's another round of New Time Religion. Like one of the most embarrassing, horrible experiences of my life is when I was in seminary. I was like halfway through seminary. I thought, you know what? I may want to be a sociologist. And the problem with sociologists, like uh, we're t- we're talking Hartmut Rosa, the the German. You got to get into the math statistics. Well, side. I mean that's the thing. Like if you're a European sociologist, like you don't as much. Like you're kind of more of a philosopher. I mean it depends, I guess, on what kind of sociologist you're. But if you are in the American school, they of sociology, love their Z scores. Oh my and, gosh! Uh, yeah, <laughs> you you have to be able to do like, yes, you have to be able to do math. So I thought, oh my gosh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to do a PhD. I might want to do math. That means that my math score really matters. I I had no idea how I was gonna do that. I need I needed a tutor to be able to get me through this. And so Kara uh, at the time was working. We were living in LA, and she was he was working on an after school program. <laughs> she was like, "There's a math guy there who's like got a he's got like a master's degree in mathematics, and he teaches like after school tutoring." So we were talking about Billy Madison earlier, but were it you Billy exactly Madison? Were you like we sitting recorded. in the lunchroom this at a little was, no, tiny this table? This is my Billy, like... totally Billy Madison moment. So <laughs> I I I email this guy, you know, and I'm like, "Hey, could you help me?" And I'm thinking he's gonna say, "Yeah, let's meet up at Starbucks or come over to my apartment or I can come by your place and I can take you through this." He he says, "Listen, I'm uh, I got an opening from like, you know, 4:30 to 5:30. Just come to the office." So I walk in. And it was an elementary school? No, this is like it was in like an uh, it was an office. Oh, okay. It, okay. It, was, it was like an office center, but you walked in and you could turn right into like the adult waiting area or left into the kid waiting area. And so I had to turn left because that's where the person is that you check in. And I was like, yeah, I'm here to see, I don't know what the guy's name is, Phil or whatever. She's like, okay, have a seat. And there were only teeny little (laughs) chairs there. So I sat like in this teeny little chair, just like Billy Madison next to like these two, I don't know, fourth graders or whatever. And we were all waiting for our tutor. And one of the kids looked at me because I was so big. You know, I was like, are you are you seeing someone here? And I was like, yep. Like didn't even look at him and just like, yep. And then he's like, what do you need tutoring on? And I said, math. And he's like, yeah, math is hard. (laughs) 
I think one of the equations that we've just referenced, Hartmann Rose, that Rose says exists within inside modernity, is these um, equations that are always lead to prime. So he says something like um, one of the equations that exists inside of modernity is m plus c equals m primed. And what he means is money plus commodities equals money squared, money primed. It means money doubled, money advanced. No one invests money to not make money. So one of the big moves of the world we live in is to always be increasing, priming things. It's not, I think, a coincidence that the fastest moving thing on the internet is Amazon Prime. You know, yeah. like it, And they're just trying to continue to speed this up. So, so you basically, w what I tracked from that was in capitalist society, we have this assumption that you need growth. That Gro the, yes. the end of the year, you have to show an increase. Absolutely. Otherwise, right. why are you even doing what you're doing? Right. If it, uh, a company, small business, if you go on Shark Tank and people are like, what? Remember, if, if you watch Shark Tank, which I watch every yeah, week. Yeah, we watch that too. Yeah, you know, and they ask, like, what are your numbers? Right. Because they want to get to your evaluation. If I was to say, well, we lost money last year, but it was really fulfilling to me, and it gave my life a lot of meaning, they wouldn't invest No, they don't like yeah. that at all. Or even if they, even if you, you know, like you say, well, uh, 2018, we made $500,000. 2019, we made $500,000. That is a bad sign. Like there should be about what at least ten percent, probably more like twenty, thirty, forty percent growth. Um, and if they're going to invest in it, they want to be like seeing sixty, seventy, eighty percent growth. So there's always this movement towards growth. So I think this gets imposed on the church. This this mentality. And we kind of think of the church as having its own equation, which is M plus P equals M primed. Can I guess what that is? Yeah. Members plus, I don't know what P would be. Programs. Pro oh, yeah, of course. Equals members. Primed. Primed. Yes. And your church is not doing well unless it's you priming increasing the members. members. Yes. And, and so this becomes the equation that drives us. So. My friend Tim Suttle, which shout out to him on this podcast, has this, this really good little book called Shrink, and it's really a, it was published by uh, Zondervan, which is which is ironic because he's making this push for thinking about the church as shrinking, faithfully shrinking, as opposed to always thinking of growth. And he tells this story about some church somewhere. Um, you can email him if you want to know, but that that uh, discovered that if they were going to get to this equation, this um, what I would impose, he doesn't use this in his, in his book, but I would impose, impose this if you were going to get to this M plus P equals M squared. They realized, as he tells the story, that they had to be able to get people out of their church parking lot in 20 minutes. If people could not get out of the church parking lot in 20 minutes, there would be no way to prime the M. Yep. There just would be no way. Yep. So they, they, they um, lobbied the city and raised $5 million to build an overpass from the freeway right next to their church parking lot <laughs> so that they could get people Just out of the church. ramp. An exit ramp, right, basically right It's like when I go through. to the baseball game on ramp A, I can go right onto the interstate from the parking ramp. Basically, that's yeah. what they did. Yeah. Because they knew if they didn't do that, 
it would bottleneck the M. And then people wouldn't want to show up because it's well, a then you're, apart. Well, then your church just sucks. Yeah. Your church is in decline. Right. Your right. church, because your church isn't, isn't growing. So this is Rose's point, is that in, in modern institutions stabilize themselves dynamically. Mm-hmm. So it's the movement towards growth that stabilizes them. So where before the church, what stabilized the church was that it had the sacred practices. Well, there was, there was roots, right? Like wisdom and history and tradition and... And practices that took you into encounter with the living God. Like yeah. The practices themselves did that. The fact that your space was a space that could protect people from the devil and demons. The fact that you gave the words of salvation to people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what stabilized your institution. So you can even think of this. I mean, this is a little romantic, but a priest could would give the mass if there were only 15 people in it. Because what stabilized it was you were doing this mass. Now, I'm sure that they were you know before before the service be mass began where is everyone and what does this mean about the corruption of this city we don't think that now we take we we take the blame onto ourselves so you know what do you do what how do we go forward so I, the last thing i'd want to say is like let's become let's not grow or there's been a whole movement i mean i think there's something in tim subtle's book called shrink that we should think about but there's also been a movement like towards slow church Mm -hmm. that's kind of been connected to slow food and things like that and we do need some sense of slowing down but there's okay but not to interrupt you but there's also kind of an irony too because I think sometimes, like, we talk about slow church, but then, well, in the next sentence, we go, that's, like, the next new thing. Exactly. And then it's just the whole pattern repeating itself all over again. Right. And if it catches on at all, even slow church gets pulled into dynamic stabilization. And so either slow church has to actually, you have to show some kind of market gain in some kind of way. Right. Either money-wise or people coming. Um or, or you have to be a big enough church with enough programs and initiatives that are growing in dynamic stabilization that it can pay for in either energy or money this initiative. But the initiative on its own is not stable. It cannot exist on its own. So, like, to give you an example, like the little church that I'm part of that my wife is a pastor of, we do this, like, prayer service every other week on Saturday nights. And there are times... Well, it's not a big church at all. I mean, so we're never a huge group of people. But there are certain times where it gets really low, like a Saturday in the middle of the summer or the Saturday right after Christmas when Christmas was on a Wednesday or something. There'll be like sometimes six or eight people there. And immediately, because, you know, partly my livelihood is dependent on this and my wife's livelihood is dependent on this, you know, as, as an institutional structure, we have to worry about, I almost always find myself hooked into dynamic stabilization where I'm like, Oh crap, this church is dying. There's no future in this. Why are we doing this? This is, and then I actually imagine new people coming in or once in a while we'll have people who are usually there. And I almost want to go over to them and apologize. We usually have like twice as many people here Uh, trying to somehow justify this thing. Yep. And so we, we're stuck in these kind of forms of dynamic stabilization because if we upend dynamic stabilization, mayhem occurs. Yes. And so what's the response to this? And slowdown probably isn't in and of itself the response.
And so this is something we'll have to continue to talk about the podcast that I'm continuing to develop, but is also connected to Rosa's point. And Rosa says what we need is not necessarily slow down, though we probably need some of that. But what we ultimately need are deep experiences of resonance. But what happens when I'm, my life is too busy, all the institutional structures, everything is going too fast for that. It becomes so much easier for me just to plant myself in a tribe and only listen to the things I already agree with and just continue to demonize you, my neighbor, for being the idiot who doesn't know how the world should be. Yep. You know, And so it's a partly a way to cope with speed. And so Rose's point is all that speeding up because that desynchronization, that we're dealing with the issue of desynchronization, but the ultimate issue is that going at that speed, and it, this goes to the one I talked about, the human, human psyche, is that burnout and feeling alienated from the world itself seems to be an epidemic that we're dealing with, mm -hmm. where people just, life feels flat, life feels stale, like the live wire between them and the world doesn't seem to be ignited anymore. Mm -hmm. And so his basic point is what we need is resonance more than we need anything else. We need to encounter ourselves in a living world again. And that seems like a very different way forward for congregational life to think that our objective here is to, as a community, live and move towards resonance as opposed to the relevance of continued advancing growth. Well, that's interesting that you say that because I know churches throw out that word relevant a lot, but like in this context, relevant almost sounds like you're just on the treadmill with everybody else and you're just trying to keep up. Right? Absolutely. Residence is sort of stepping off and saying, okay, let's look at what really matters here. Yeah. And where are those moments that you, you feel alive? One of the way Rose, Rosa talks about it is returning again to a speaking world, a world that speaks to you. And that's what people will say. Like, you know, I had that moment at that conference, right? When, when I, the one week I get away and go hiking, the world feels alive again. I feel like it's speaking to me. But to put this in more theological um, kind of framework is that, especially as Protestants, we have this deep sense of a speaking God. Mm -hmm. And we just, there's just no way, I think, to help people encounter a living speaking God if their lives are just continually accelerating and their institutions that they live in are continually accelerating. Um, so it's a problem for the church because we all need some kind of sense of fullness of what makes our life full. And busyness does produce a sense of fullness. That when you feel busy, you feel like your life is full. Both the exhale, like, oh, yeah, things are just so full right now. But you also feel like you're in demand, like you're living a good life, like that, like, there's people that need you that it feels really good yeah like i need to get my kids to soccer practice and then i have this meeting at work you know but i've found that sometimes when people get past that point in their lives they get depressed exactly right because there's nothing left and then it's like well what do i do now? well that becomes that becomes the big issue and that's where rosa gets stopped burnout and, and, and depression is that um once that that business turns on you and once you can't keep up and you're the only one that can keep up. So to, to try to get your fullness through busyness is a good is a strategy. It, it works, but it is very risky 
Because if you ever can't keep up and you start spitting out water, you know, like you're not swimming, you're not riding that wave, but you get crushed by that wave, and you're you it it will thrust you in a certain sense of despondency and and depression. And so I think part of the issue that that Christian leaders have to face is that um, usually it just so happens that we look for a church that matches our sense of fullness. So if we're people who think we get fullness through busyness, then we're going to look for a church that's busy. And then the church has to be busy both in its offerings, M plus P equals M squared, its programs, and we want a church that speaks to our busyness. So it gives us sermons on how to deal with stress and how to be the self, how to be the self you've always wanted to be, you know, how to keep up and be a good parent. All those, all those kind of things is is, is what we look for in the church. Uh, but the problem is, as soon as people start spitting it out, as soon as the world starts to feel dead, as soon as they feel like they're not riding the wave of their busyness, but it's crushing them, they will leave a busy church. Well, because it's just speaking judgment to them. It fe- that's exactly right. It feels like it's judging them. Even though any leader who's running a very busy church would say, we're not judging anyone. Anyone can come here whenever they want. We're the most, we are the least judgmental place what, uh, that you could ever find. But they feel judged because the hidden good that the, that the, is even driving the church, the hidden sense of, fu- of fullness is busyness equals fullness. And they are failing at this level of fullness. So they will, they will disappear. Well, that's kind of why I appreciate a lot of your early work too. Um, Cause when you talk about relationship, I think there's a lot of, a lot of similarity with yeah. Rosa's talk about resonance. Absolutely. And I think for me anyway, that's sort of the way I see the future going, or at least it should go is in the busy world. If you can be a place that provides those transformative, meaningful relationships, you know, I mean, I would say the church yeah. I work at probably is more busy because we're a suburban context. We have younger families that are doing soccer practice and all that kind of stuff, and we have programs, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, I think the times we're most successful as a congregation is when we provide those opportunities to have those meaningful relationships because it sort of, like you said, connects them back to the world and God speaking to them. And my guess is if you ask most pastors, like, tell me five short stories of your most meaningful experiences in ministry, usually it will be an experience of resonance. Yep. yep. When I sat with that family after they lost their son. Those are the kind of moments that people feel that they were doing the depth of ministry. And those are experiences of resonance. Um, so that is, you know, there is a real connection to my early work in uh, Rosa. In so many ways, I've never left my early work. Like I've ha- only had one big question. I mean, Isaiah Berlin says philosophers and thinkers, he's a philosopher, so he's thinking philosophers can either be... Um, hedgehogs or foxes you know so a fox knows many things but a hedgehog knows only one big thing and there's just no doubt that i'm a hedgehog you know and i it's i've had the one big idea that i've been trying to work out and and rosa is a connection because rosa believes what an accelerated modernity does is it instrumentalizes all our relationships and to get back to residence is to get back to relationships for relationship's sake um and uh so this just becomes another I think deeper angle to kind of push some of those those thoughts into.
New Time Religion is a podcast featuring Dr. Andrew Root, which is produced by me, Derek Tronsgaard. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes and tell a friend or two about our show. You can find more of Andy's books on his website, andrewroot.org, and you can order them on Amazon. His most recent series focuses on Charles Taylor's work in the secular age, and his new book, The Pastor in a Secular Age, is out now. New Time Religion is a production of the Alter Guild Podcast Network, and you can check them out at alterguild.org for more great shows. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time for another round of New Time Religion.